Welcome to Risk Sleep Repeat, a podcast that features influential guest speakers from the world of fire, health and safety. We're going to focus on trust-based safety, owning and embracing risk and the importance of people over paperwork. Hosted by me, Adam Clark, Managing Director and Mike Stevens, CEO of Praxis 42. If you're a fire, health and safety professional, join us for inspirational conversations about the future of our industry. Today I'm joined by Lena Shohan, Group Ergonomic Musculoskeletal and Wellbeing Specialist for BT and Advanced Occupational Health Physiotherapist for British Airways. Lena works within a leadership and collaborative role involving and engaging teams, stakeholders, researchers and business leaders to drive forward optimum health and well-being in the workplace. Lena. Thank you, um, thank you so much for for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to hear more about uh, more about you, more about your journey and your and your career uh, and everything um, in between. So, why don't we start off by you giving us a bit of a bit of an overview of your of your starts from starting as a as a physiotherapist up to being a, you know, a musculoskeletal specialist. Um, how does how does one start there and end up there? And uh, uh, give us a whistle stop tour. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me onto onto this. How did I get to where I am? I mean, I kind of fell into physiotherapy. It wasn't my first choice in terms of my professional career. And then when I qualified back in 2002, at that stage, at that point, you routinely went into the NHS and did your postgrad rotations, which is um, what I did. So I was in the NHS for five years. And then I fell into industry. Um, and I've worked in various companies, large organizations now, and over the years I've kind of just, I guess, carved this pathway that's led me to where I am right now, um, as a musculoskeletal specialist working in industry. Okay. Okay. So, um, you, you fell into industry. How, um, what, what was the opportunity that, uh, saw you take those first steps? Oh, so I was in the NHS for five years and my first job was at Royal Bonneton Harefield Hospital and I was there for seven months and that's in a heart and lung hospital um which is a you know big eye opener and then I moved into moved over to World National Orthopaedic Hospital in Stanmore and that is a center of excellence and did loads of rotations there and my interest has always been musculoskeletal health but I also learned well I did rotations in chronic pain management I worked closely with shoulder specialists with the orthopaedic team did pediatrics my first rotation was spinal injury unit, actually. That had a you know a real impact on me as well. And then after I'd done all those rotations, I felt like I wanted a change. And I came across um, this job ad in our physio magazine. Thought, oh, this looks quite interesting, working in, in industry, so working in occupational health. Had no idea what occupational health meant. I don't think at that time many physiotherapists knew there's no actual like, route for physios to occupational health. There are for doctors and nurses, but not for physios, so to speak. So I interviewed for this job didn't get around first time but um, they contacted me when another vacancy came up a year later and then that's how I got into occupational health within industry the place I worked at that time which was at Transport for London had a in-house occupational health department one of the leading departments in the UK so it's really well established with a great team and so in terms of the training opportunities for a physiotherapist it was great I learned from the from the best from the doctors there the nurses and I had a great manager there and learned how to apply physiotherapy in the corporate environment, in the workplace, and how we can have an impact and how to influence good musculoskeletal health. So you kind of moved from a place where you were looking at more people who've already suffered 
from injuries uh, and and pain and moving into an environment where you have more influence over how many people have to then go and have go and have treatment is that fair yeah it is fair to say um so transport london at that time had an in-house physio department so anyone who had a problem whatever musculoskeletal problem that they had they could access that physiotherapy um, and that's the same with the the two current companies i work with which is a great provision but being embedded in the workplace like you said you can also have an influence in a preventative way which is great because you want to help people before their problem becomes so chronic and so embedded and you want to keep people in the workplace which is so important i know when i was at um World national orthopedic when i worked on the chronic pain management unit there, there were so many people that had left the workplace because they could sustain work because of their chronic condition, which is so, you know, disheartening and so sad to see and, you know, to, to see the effect on on people. So do you think you're you know, having that opportunity then to go into the into the private sector and have, you know, a, a real influence over and throughout the journey, kind of going from, I suppose, in the early days, understanding how that department was set up, looking at how what their strategies were, how they were operating, and then as you've moved through your career, becoming more influential in setting that standard for the organizations that you've worked with. Have you have you found is that is that where your kind of passion your passion lies? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's been what over fifteen years I've worked in industry. So there's a lot of time there that I've had to see how different organizations utilize um support services of in in particular physiotherapy how it could be utilized in the workplace for people, giving, you know, how the app, how, how it's accessed, what information do people want? What is it that's going to help people? Yeah, so it's been great to be able to take all that experience over the years and speaking to people who utilize those services uh, and also various stakeholders to see, well, to influence how we could or how we should provide that service to people. It's also great to be able to use data and that's the thing that you hear more and more nowadays is it, people say, okay, if you've got a musculoskeletal problem, let's just provide physiotherapy. And the thing is, physiotherapy is not the answer for everyone. But, you know, with the organizations that, that are working at the moment, what's great is that they're very much open to looking at the data, seeing how we could take much more of a strategic approach. How can we have the best impact and making it more nuanced to the, to the cases that are, that are out there. And I guess then you could kind of drill down more into the specifics, the specific risks that those organizations carry and, and get a bit more targeted on which activities, which which jobs carry the most the most risk and, and how can we, you know, apply some resources to manage those in the in the first place so that we're having less having to do less referrals for, for pain management afterwards. One of the projects I'm working on right now is looking at the job itself. What are the operational requirements? What impact does it have on the musculoskeletal system? How are people managing their system or their health? And, you know, how is it that we can work together to educate people, but also keep people healthy in the workplace for a longer lifespan? And um, like I say, in that preventative way. And so that essentially the number that then access for therapy might be less or they might access it at an earlier point when they're going to have a greater um, greater impact. That's one of the actually thinking about the, the roles I'm doing right now. It's so, when I, when I think back, I think to be given a blank canvas and to say, okay, look, you've got this blank canvas, you've had all this experience, you look at research, you look at data, you can be creative. What is it you want? What is it you think is going to work? Create. Um, and that's one of the great things 
within the roles that I have at the moment. And it's really interesting because I think there are plenty of people out there who, if you gave them a blank canvas and said, you know, go and do something, would immediately think, I don't want to be, I don't want to be responsible for, for that because if I've got, if I've got no framework to go from, I'm firing blind and that means that I'm possibly more likely to make a mistake. It might not work. You know, first time, which obviously is okay. Well, trust me, I have had very nervous moments. I'm a natural warrior, but I'm so passionate. I'm so passionate about making a difference. I'm so passionate about um, influencing and you, you know, letting people know how physiotherapy can work in occupational health. And when you work within a team that really supports that thinking and allows you to thrive, you essentially do thrive. And yeah, you might put something together, and by the end of that project think maybe that's not delivering where I wanted it to and you might have to tweak it you tweak it at the end of the day we're all humans but the forefront of it all the most important thing is what I always have to remind myself is why are we doing what we're doing or why I'm doing what I'm doing is to make a difference to that one person and I think that definitely helps me get through those moments where I have a bit of a wobble well it's it's the most powerful thing your your why or your purpose the why am I you know why do I do? What do I do? Why do I care? Why do I put the extra effort in? Why do I go um, and you know go above and beyond? Yeah, it's often for that for that purpose, and that's the thing that where yeah you know, where you said you're a natural warrior, perfectly normal. But when you then think back to the to the why, that's what helps you put that worry to one side and be like, yeah, okay, I might be worrying about this, but actually I need to make a decision and I need to try, you know I need to present something. We need to go forwards. Things may need to be tweaked along the along the way. But I'm prepared to put that forward and you know manage that part of my personality because I'm trying to achieve something here that's kind of bigger than me. So, so that yeah, I, I think that's that's in all the conversations that I've had with people who are really kind of clear on their on their purpose. It's, it's what helps you achieve. It's what helps you achieve things because you're not you know in this particular case you're not necessarily focused on yeah you know, making as much money as you possibly can for something, but actually. You know, the business case for everything you do is well actually we're trying to keep people healthy and and in work and productive and if we can achieve that goal they can you know carry on and achieve some you know business business related goals of you know creating revenue or whatever else that we need to that we need to do or on the flip side of it you have people who can't work are off sick for long periods of time or in, as you said already in certain cases are not okay working going forward and yeah, from a certainly from a moral perspective, for most organisations, you'd like to think that having a basic level of care for the people who we who we work with um, and are impacted by us should be a basic foundation of, of of running any business. But it's obviously not always the case. No, it's not always the case. But I do feel over the last few years, businesses are starting to take well, open their eyes a little bit more and have that moral approach because it, people are important. And when you keep people happy, they work better for you from a business perspective. But I guess when when I look at it from a clinician's point, we want to keep people, you know, healthy. We, we I always say health is wealth, and that's the the heart side. But yeah, you sometimes it's difficult to get that terminology translated into business speak so that businesses can understand. So, Lena, how do we translate that to uh, to a language that a business can understand? Then, as a, how has it changed over over time? 
yeah, when you when you were perhaps a little bit more naive about how you might get something uh, across the line to you know fifteen years worth of experience later. I think I used to rub it a lot before and try and get so much detail out there so that people understand that I know what I'm talking about. Um, but people don't want to hear that. They want, you know, what I've learned over the years and it's taken many years, the art of getting the detail in the least amount of words possible, just saying it how it is. And I think I've got much better at that. Before I used to prepare so much and try to keep so much detail in my head that when I used to have these meetings or when I used to have to speak or when I used to have to put something on a presentation, it'll just be overloaded and you kind of get lost. Um, and over the years, it's just I've become a lot more streamlined. And that comes with confidence, doesn't it? And that which grows over the years. Um, and then the reflection from various meetings um, and various presentations. Oh, some really good, really good points there. I mean, I, I like the starting the starting one of you trying to go on through that journey, you've been there before, where you feel like the starting point is I need to convince the people in the room that I know what I'm talking about. But, you know, if it's an in-house role, generally speaking, they, you know, they hired you because you know what you're talking about. Or if you're consulting, um, you know, assuming they've done the due diligence, you know, you already should have the audience. So the starting point is kind of try and push that to one to one side. You're talking with you're talking with authority as it is anyway. They're looking to you to say, you know what, yeah, here's our here's our organization. You're the you're the specialist. What do we need to what do we need to know? What do we need to consider? So I think that you you're right, that that that's building that confidence. And it's, it's sometimes I think where you have to experience it. You have to experience those first few times where you just feel outside of your comfort zone and knowing what that knowing what that looks and feels from and i'm glad you, you also said about reflection i think that's it's so important to reflect on how did that go did it go as I, as I think it did if i were to do that again tomorrow what would i what would i do differently so that the you know the next iteration of that is you know hopefully even if it's only one percent improved slightly better than it was before yeah absolutely i think the reflection part is such a big aspect to understanding what you felt went right what could have gone better, not to be hard on yourself and then to move forward. So I've got better with some meetings and presentations so I know are going to be difficult. Um, take a time out after and usually going for a walk always helps me clear my mind. And then I will have maybe a couple of debrief meetings with various team members to help process my thoughts because I think you need to process it to move forward. You can't stay in that cycle. Um, otherwise, you, you won't go anywhere. You won't learn and you won't move forward. And I... Although I, you know, like I said earlier, I'm a natural warrior and I try not to be a perfectionist, but, but, um, I throw myself out there. Like I just have to get out the comfort, you know, out of my comfort zone because when I'm out my comfort zone, that's when I'm achieving. Even with experience, you know, I think you need to have a level of discomfort because that's what makes us do good work. It makes us not become complacent. It makes us challenge ourselves, say, okay, I might've got this far, but let's not, let's not rest on what I've done previously. Um, you know, I, there's always a new challenge, there's always a new objective. How can I make sure that I'm still meeting that? And I also think, as you said uh, a second ago, testing your ideas and having people around you, either internally if you've got them or, you know, if it's people in your network to sound out ideas and look, you know, here's the problem I've got. This is what I'm thinking of thinking of doing. Um, this is how I'm thinking of approaching it. You know, does that feel right to, to you or is there anything that seems that I'm, that I'm missing? It's going to be such a valuable thing to thing to do especially when you're position of authority and even if you're especially if you're doing it with people who kind of sit sit below you giving them an opportunity to listen hear out to that's okay you know that's that should be part of your of your toolkit when you're um coming up with your, your strategies for managing these situations 
So right now with the two roles I have, one is clinical and the other one is leading and strategy and putting in initiatives and then evaluating it, doing research. And what's great, I might have an idea for one role. So with this to say the leading or the research, I'll go into one of my clinic clinics and I'll speak to people who is going to impact. Well, I'm thinking about this, what do you think? Um, and they give you really good feedback, good responses. And so it works both ways. Equally, if in my other role, they're thinking, okay, we want to think about doing this initiative and, you know, is it going to land well? Is it going to make a difference? I could speak to people in my clinic and say, well, we're thinking of this. What do you think? Um, and they might say, no, well, maybe do this or do that. So it works really well because you have that communication or that ability to take it back and forth and ask around. And how have you found kind of building that, that network of, of, you know, colleagues um, and, you know, people that you've worked with in the past and, and others, how have you found that you know, throughout your career that you know, has nurturing that or building those relationships really helped you develop and, and, and grow? So the company I used to work for before, I had a huge network there within my team. And then I left to work where I'm now working. And you're going from working with a raw embedded team, one physio amongst many other physios. So you speak the same language language almost, and you can communicate and you understand. Um, and then you move to a role where you are the only physiotherapist in, you know, clinically or the only musculoskeletal specialist. And not having that network or that safety net almost, I did struggle, honestly, five years ago, five, six years ago, I struggled big time. But what I realized is I'd made so many friendships as well as, you know, maintained relationships with colleagues over the years. And I've maintained it over the last few years. And um, we're always talking back and forth. And I think it's really important that you do share your experiences um, and you keep that, that line of communication open. I'm now also part of um, ACPO and part of the committee. So that's um, the Associated Chartered um, Chartered Physiotherapist in Occupational Health and Ergonomics. So that's another a group of people that I can tap into as well. Yeah, it's really important. And I, and I do make an effort in maintaining those relationships. That's really, really good to hear. So talk to me about the the change then when you, when you because you were in TFL for, for quite some while and I can only imagine moving into that place where you are you were the the main person delivering you obviously make a made a conscious choice to uh, uh to to do that but you know I, I, you could have easily had a career that spans you know as long as, I suppose, as long as you wanted to in, T, in tfl you've got you know quite a level of comfort there how did you kind of step out of that comfort zone to go into the new role and then how did you how did you find yourself in the early days of being in the in the new role you know, how did you feel? What what was it that, or when did it click to make you kind of feel comfortable that actually, you know, I, this is the right role for me. I am capable of doing it. And the, the, the natural worry kind of went away. Yeah. So when I joined TFL, I was the third physio that was recruited. By the time I left after 13 years, I was, there were, the physio team had nine physios. I'd reached a point where there was nowhere else for me to go career-wise. It took me two years to make the decision to leave because it was such a great team. Finally made the decision to leave. I was very nervous. And then I started working for British Airways and British Telecom, BT. With British Airways, with BA, my role there was to set up the in-house physio provision. So that was setting up something that I'm very much used to, essentially bread and butter, but also thinking a bit more managerial-wise. 
And they were so welcoming, the team, the health service team, they are so welcoming and they were so excited about this opportunity. So you kind of get taken along with that enthusiasm. And it's that enthusiasm that got me going because I was going in one or two days a week. So it's quite hard to set up a service, for, you know, when you're not there the whole week and you're learning and it's a different organization and I'm used to the TFL ways and this is a different company, a much bigger company as well. Um, and it's global. So there's a lot of learning, but the enthusiasm of the, the health services um, got me through. Well, now it's so embedded and the feedback is so great and so positive. You know, we're looking at seeing how we can expand it. Um, which is, which is great. And they are very much looking to also look at how we can manage musculoskeletal health in a preventative way. So they're always forward thinking. And I think that helps a lot. When I started my job at BT, now this was a new role and I've got given this title, Group Economic uh, Musculoskeletal Wellbeing Specialist. I absolutely hated that title because when you go to meetings and you have to introduce yourself, it's a bit wordy. And I want to say I'm a physiotherapist, but technically I'm not a physiotherapist. Uh, my role is much more, it's very different. It's strategy, it's leading, it's thinking outside the box. Um, come to terms with the uh, with the title now. Um, but it, I felt fish like a fish out of water. If I'm really honest, I felt like a fish out of water at BT when I first started. Um, because you're discussing, or you're, yeah, you're discussing things that are very much outside of the clinical realm. So very much out of my comfort zone. It's a different company. It's a huge company. You know, there's so many different parts to BT. But it was the excitement here of having that blank canvas to just think wide and to create and to do. Outside of your clearly extensive subject matter expertise, um, as you've transitioned through time into more senior roles, how have you found that developing your influencing skills, your communicating skills, your sometimes internal political skills, how have you developed those and how have you seen that change so that you can get, you know, or be effective in your roles? I've become more comfortable with small chat, but small chat about the world, small chat about politics, small chat about, whereas in the beginning I would have stayed very, very quiet. And I think as you, as I've got further and further within my career you do need to get to know people um a bit differently and I and, and it's down to small chat like you know if you ask my friends and family they will say I'm very good with small chats but I don't think I am so yeah within the work environment I think just worked hard and then at becoming more comfortable with the small with the small chat and in terms of I guess the skills that I've required you know, there's always these courses that you can go on or you can look up things online and I might have a look and see, okay, well, what's the best way to deliver a presentation on this? What's the best way to write this up? And then I will, you know, go through it with someone, either, you know, with a family, friend or team, depending, team member, depending on what the content is, obviously. And, you know, I value their, their, their feedback. Yeah, yeah, I know I know what you mean. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think at times we forget that we've got our home personality, our home have, and that has a whole load of whole load of skills and things that's been developed. But then when we go into go into a work, we're wearing this different. You know, we've got a little bit of a different personality, and it's at times I think there's there's things that I probably wouldn't do. You know, especially on the small shows, like going up to somebody in a in a bar and then striking up a conversation with somebody when I'm a my personal hound. 
so that's not really something that I'm going to be you know particularly loving the idea of but when I've got my kind of work hat on and I'm a networking event and I'm talking to somebody is I just go and do it without thinking because of it's like they say over time I've just worked on I've worked on doing that that it, that it becomes less phases me less but when I've got my own choice of whether I want to do it or not if I'm a if I'm if I have like well I've got all this I've got all the skills to be able to do it but well, I'm not really sure that I, I always fancy that. I think in the beginning, I used to also get so nervous getting, going up to people and talk to them. Like, do they really want to talk to me? But, you know, I should go up and network. I should go and talk. And then you just think, oh, I just have to do it. And then you just, like I said, you just get used to it. But I'm, yeah, if I'm out socially, it's just more comfortable. It's a bit more different. And I do have, people do say I have a different personality at work, um, at work and out of work. But I'm also quite laid back at work as well, I think. And in the beginning, when I first started on these roles, I thought, oh, I have to be a little bit more professional or a little bit more, I don't know, strict, um, so to speak. But then I thought, well, actually, being laid back doesn't make me less professional. It's just, you know, my nature. Um, I might, you know, I might be laid back, but I'm always taking in what, what's being said in meetings. I'm always observing. I'm always, I'm always learning. And, you know, to some degree, you do have a work persona, but you shouldn't really change who you are. And I think that's something that I've become more comfortable with as I've progressed. Yeah, I, I completely, I completely agree with you. I think there's, it's knowing the better you, you know yourself, the better you can be, you know, or bring, bring, bring that self to to work. But then I also think, you know, we, it's sensible when you're starting somewhere new that, you know, you need to spend the kind of the starting point just absorbing that culture, absorbing the people around you to know how you can tailor tailor your approach towards that towards that culture because sometimes going you know four guns blazing with you know all of your personality might actually start you off you know on, on the back foot because you know anybody coming into an to an all new organization the people in that organization they're also trying to understand you know you a bit, a bit better and um you know it's it's a kind of a using your emotional intelligence to try to judge well who are the people that I'm working with um you know how do they how do they want to be communicated with how you know who are the people that I need to be um influenced with who are the people that I need to you know all of that all of that kind of information gathering but it doesn't mean that you have to change doesn't necessarily mean that you have to change your your personality um it's just kind of working out how can I how can I deploy myself to be most most effective in this culture that I've just come into that maybe completely different to a culture that I've been in previously. And the one thing I have been consistent with is making sure I don't speak fast because that's always been a thing. And especially when you're nervous or you just want to get your words out. So at the beginning, I used to put a post-it saying, do not speak fast. <laughs> if you imagine you were new into the world of work and your first experience is being fully home-based and you know, quite likely from your parents' house, how are you going to learn those kind of interpersonal skills that you get when you're trying to work with people it's a real challenge where we where we are at the moment, and you can see why some organisations now that are kind of fully committed to yeah totally hybrid, do what works for you, uh, you know now starting to look at it like oh, we might need to unwind that a little a little bit because actually is it good for us to spend five days a week working from home and not interacting with people on a you know when you're in the room and you can feel them and you can see their body language and you can you know you're feeding off of that or the like say that. The random the random chat that you get into about well what happened over the you know what happened over the weekend what what was good that you watched on TV recently all of that all of that that we you know feel so minor but actually I think it's pretty quite important 
think when you go into the office, you get to know your colleague, you have a sense of belonging, I think, and you have these incidental chats, whether it's about what's going on over the weekend, whether it's, um, you know, what you've watched on TV and so forth or anything personal. But also, like, if you've got something that's bothering you or something's on your mind with work, you know, just suddenly seeing someone having a conversation, it's a bit easier than how to book in a Teams meeting. And I think, you know, people who are new into jobs and new into their careers, I think it's really important for them to be in the working environment so they're surrounded by different types of people and they have those opportunities because you learn a lot that as, if that is not necessarily structured in your, I don't know, training plan or diary. You know, those intangible things that can make you, you know, the person that you are as you progress with your, your career. I think that's really important. Really important. And then you also, you take into account that when you are commuting to work, and I know commuting is always one of those things that is a bugbear with people because you think, oh, why am I commuting an hour here and there when I could be more productive at home? But I honestly think when you're commuting, and I know if anyone commutes for longer than an hour, that's the, the point where people no longer really like it or enjoy it and it hasn't, you know, it may have an impact on them. But when you're commuting, you're, you're getting up, you're getting ready, you're walking, you're getting fresh air, you're amongst people that are out there in the world. And, and I think all of that is so essential to us as, as human beings. Yeah, we're naturally community-driven people. Our, from the dawn of time, that's what we need. We needed community to function. And actually, when we look at what we've done with technology, actually we've made it easier for us to be out of community. You know, we've, whatever it is that you might need, you can generally get delivered to you, to you and you can function very easily uh, as an employee without ever leaving your house. So where's your, like you said, where's your sense of belonging? Where's your sense of community? And you know, it's, it can cause there's some definitely definitely um, side effects that that will that will cause if we don't get that balance balance right. But we are, you know, we're not that long outside of you know COVID and everything that this has caused. So it's not a massive surprise that we've again trying to find the right way of of, of doing this and the right and the right balance. And I guess from your from your perspective, no doubt be looking looking at this and the influence it, that it has on the people in the organisations that you've that you're that you're working with. I suspect you know from people who are working working from home and you know the from the physical aspects of you know workstation setups at, at home you know to the to the well-being you know of what, how is working from home impacted on our loneliness for example and what does that look like you know going going forward yeah any any insights from from you on the, where we're going got involved quite heavily in the dsc assessment and i worked with them um, with you guys on on our new dsc assessment right um and i looked at a lot of research I also took into account what I was seeing in physio clinic and, you know, taking all that into account, you know, we built a DSE assessment at BT where the content was very much driven by a health and wellbeing lens. And it's all about, okay, fine, this is how you set up your DSE and your working environment, but this is how we want you to be healthy and this is why you need to be healthy. So we, you know, we talked about, you know, having breaks between meetings, setting up your meeting requests and so they're either 25 minutes or 50 minutes, you know, put sentences in there about um, physical activity. I know that's something that's of interest to you. And, you know, how the UK population, you know, what, 67% of the UK population spend their working day in prolonged sitting. So giving people that information, saying how that links to their cardiovascular system or how that links to, you know, the risk of diabetes or certain types of cancers, put in there about light and how that, you know, how that can have an impact on, on your sleep. And I think if people just know those little nuggets of information so that they can make a change there and then, 
I think that's really healthy for them. You know, that was really important. And then when the pandemic hit, I had all these calls from all my friends and family about their desk setup. What would be the best way to set the desk up? And I, you know, gave them loads of advice. But I said, you know what? You just need to keep moving. You can have the best setup in the world, but really you need to keep moving. And I think that's just really important. Um, so with technology, you know, the way technology is, is designed is designed to make you do less, to make it easier for you. But you still need to move because you're still, you're still bones, aren't you? You're still ligaments, you're still muscles, um, you're still a skeletal system. Um, and the best thing for you is to keep moving. And, you know, um, I became a physiotherapist, but I was never physically active prior to that. If someone said to go for a run um, or go to the gym, didn't belong to a gym or anything. And when I qualified, I thought, oh, you know, I should join a gym. I should try and run, try to run. Didn't go down well at all. But now I am so active and it's because of my, I guess, my job that I see the impact of being in it um, and how that has such an impact on not just your physical health, but your mental health as well. And then as we grow older, the quality of life that we need, because things are going to happen, but you need to have physical and mental resilience. And there are so many things that are in our control that we we forget. So it's, yeah, so I always tell people, keep moving, you know, do what keeps you happy activity-wise. You don't have to belong to the gym. But if you do go, you know, enjoy it, go to the gym, go for a walk, go for a run, swim. I'm a big swimmer. I love swimming and stretching. There's so many things that we could do that keeps us healthy. It's it's all about, I think it's all about the habit, you know, I can think back to times when you start, you know, the thought of starting the gym, it's, oh, it's a gym and the first week is a real slog and you ache because you haven't used those, those muscles for a really long, for a really long time. But then you start to feel, you know, I've, I've had, a, had a really good session, feel quite good and build and building on it. I think that the tricky thing is that, you know, to form a decent habit, you have to do something for, uh, not days, you have to do it for weeks. Uh, and sometimes into into months before it's something that actually just becomes natural to you uh, to want to to want to do. And so you're right. There's there's definitely nuggets of things that you can do. So you know if it's not a if it's not a conversation that you have to have on Teams, but you can actually have it by on a phone. We'll chuck in the chuck in your earphones, and then I kind of do laps of my do laps of the house. It's just getting people to start to start something and then try and carry it carry it on. Um, but you're right. In the, in the long run, it's. Um, it's far more beneficial, and, and I think you know I feel for you at times because you know me being more of a safety safety person by by trade, we're looking at the people at times will pay more attention because they realise that the impact of getting something wrong on the safety is generally felt right now. Like I fell off that ladder, it really hurt now. Whereas you're more dealing with the this is you in twenty years time are going to feel the impact of something of the thing that you haven't done today. No, it is really hard work. All the, after all these years, I still don't I haven't got that got a nugget that will resolve or solve that issue. You know, people always say, "Oh, I wish we'd known this earlier." I said, "Okay, so if I had given, if you had access to this information earlier, or we had told you to do this, would you have done it?" Like, but why? Because, like you just said, it's not an issue for them at that point, right? And then it becomes an issue. But trying to just influence where we can, but just small in small ways, I think that's the key. Because if we can get people thinking a bit more positively about what's it within their capacity to help themselves then that should help so just one, one thing i want to just focus on going back to the beginning of the conversation you, you know when you said you moved over to uh, to tfl going into that to that established team you said you had a great manager just wanted to sort of touch on you know kind of the mentor 
mentor relationship you know did talk to me about why they were a great a great manager and what did you learn from them and when you had the opportunity to manage manage people what did you take what did you take forward from that I'm sure she wouldn't mind me mentioning her name Angela Webster and I'm still really good friends with her actually being here tomorrow at night she was very invested in me developing as a, a physiotherapist but she also knew I had a huge interest in research academic research and so she provided an environment along with the um the head of occupational health there back then was Dr. Olivia Carton, who's really well known in occupational health medicine. Um, they just created an environment where you could thrive, really. And they were there with advice, support. And I worked with great doctors who would also give time to help me understand, okay, I've done this assessment. Now I'm going to write to support what would be useful in that report. Like, I mean, you know, we talked about earlier about the audience. What is it what we're going to write in that report? But that's also, you know, bound to our clinical scope, within our clinical scope. And, you know, with Angela, it was very much about strengths and weaknesses. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What can we do to help further your strengths? But if there are weaknesses, what can we do to help? To have strengths, you've got to have weaknesses. And having weaknesses is not a bad thing. But I know some people feel it makes it, it, it I don't know, they don't see it as a good thing. But, you know, we're, we're people, we're humans. So it's about, it was about nurturing that and um giving time to develop me clinically and that kind of filtered through to my professional and personal life um, and then I moved you know moved into these other two companies and once again I've been really lucky with the manager I've got so the manager at VA he's great um, he's a um, consultant physician occupation, occupational physician and um, he's, he's brilliant at bouncing ideas you know around talking about things and you know what my thoughts are and and that helps um, in terms of a mentoring aspect, as well as a wider team there. And then at BT, I mean, I work with two doctors there and a nurse in our clinical team, and they're great. So Richard, who's the chief medical officer, and then we've got um, Elshin, who's the head of health, um, and then Joe, who is our nurse. But they're a great team to work with. And once again, it's the mentoring I have with them. I feel like I've just got lucky with the roles. And that's the great, I think that's the great thing about, about mentoring because the people who have influence on your life, who've given their time to support you, help you develop and, and grow, you know, they'll feel a lot of satisfaction out of seeing where you've got to. And, you know, now it's kind of the, the pay it forward piece, but also you, you know, over, over your career, if you could mentor tens of people and you're having a ripple effect on their, their career and it just keeps, you know, if we can all do that and all keep keep going and take, I know, you know mentoring takes time. Um, it's you know it's a thing that you've got to got to invest in, um, not just a one off a one off activity, but you can really help other people um, develop. And yeah, it's very fulfilling. So last question then, what's what's next? Where are we, what's what's next in your in your in your path? Do you have any idea what your you know what what challenges that you want to that you want to take on, or are you going to branch out into um working working for yourself and do consultancy have you got you know, any grand grand plans well do i have any grand plans um other than trying to have a little bit more better work-life balance i don't know i mean i really do enjoy working within the corporate world um i enjoy working within these two roles i have at the moment it keeps me really fulfilled every time i think oh it's going to calm down another project comes up I feel like I'm this octopus with all these tentacles and the tentacles just keep growing 
I do want to continue. I mean, you know, I always just say I'm quite lucky with the roles I have because I get to do what I want to do. I get to still be a clinician and help people directly. I mean, that's what I trained in. That's my bread and butter. That gives me, you know, great job satisfaction, but also to help people, you know, when I can. It's, you know, it's a privilege to be able to do that. But then I've got this other role where I can um, lead, strategize, do research. So I get to do all those aspects still. And I feel like I just don't want to give up any of that at the moment. Um, so, Well, I think most most people would probably be content with one of the two <laughs> roles that you've got in the organizations that you work with. Having Managing managing two roles across two large organizations is a is no challenge in, it, in itself. But I think, you know, going back to your, the words that you said earlier, you've carved, you've carved this out. So there's a reason you're doing these two jobs and it's two different jobs and you love them because you've somehow managed to convince two organizations to let you only work half the time on that and one to do because I want to do this and oh actually I don't want to do that for you I want to do this this over here and hey presto like that's what you've got it's um oh you clearly got some great influencing influencing skills that you've managed to get get yourself into that situation I have no idea how it happened I have to say Adam I don't know how it happened but it happened and um yeah it's just great it's just a great position to be in yeah it's great to do all of it shouldn't we all be in a position where we try to in the pursuit of finding a you know job or a career that's something that we love and that we are that we are passionate about because you know it's it's a bit of a cliche but when you're passionate about something it doesn't feel those times when you are the work-life balance isn't quite going in the life direction but you but you're reminding yourself well well i'm doing it because i'm i'm making a difference and because this is what i this is what i care about and you know okay I shouldn't let this become a pattern, but I'm in pursuit of of what I love, so why not? Yeah, definitely going to stop this pattern of overworking. That's like my number one on the list. But yeah, so when I've spoken to people about maybe changing things, they've always said, well, you'd just be miserable because you really enjoy what you do. So you could have more time for other aspects and have a much more of a, I guess, job in one place or steady place. I don't know. But would I be happy? Probably not. I think I really enjoy the variety that I have. Well, it's been 20, 20 years in the making, uh, Lena, and you know, yeah, it, <laughs> there might have been a lot of steps in in between, but the you know, the consistent in this is you. And so, you know, what you've done, the opportunities that you've taken, the people that you've met, the support that you've the support that you've had, the opportunities that you've got to to try new things out and convince people, um, and you know, all of that ultimately has come from come from you so uh, you know it's it's been a really fascinating conversation such an interesting start and and, and where you are now and and say that the lots of people listening out there thinking god I'd love to have carved out a role like that where I get to do this over here and this over this over here I mean there's there's plenty of parts of uh, I'm sure plenty of parts of our jobs we're like do you know what I'd rather just not do that bit if that's okay or uh, or that sound of doing that but but kind of that over there and not and not that so Look, thank you so much for taking the time out to, to have a conversation, reflect back on your um, on your career, and share some of your your experiences and uh, and what you've learned. It's been um, yeah really fascinating. Um, so thank you so much for that. Thank you, thank you for inviting us and uh, for the for the chat. It's been but yeah, it's been very it's been an eye opener really. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Risk Sleep Repeat. If you'd like to appear on the show. If there's a topic you'd like to discuss, or if you want to let us know your thoughts, please do so using the hashtag risksleeprepeat or get in touch via our website at praxis42.com. 